Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Whether you've overdone it at the gym, at the dinner table, or on the couch, AHM Health Insurance have a cover for you. Join direct at ahm.com.au. For SEN America, this is the SEN MLB Podcast. And welcome to the show, first one for the season, of course. All the baseball getting underway. MLB started this week. Of course, all over the planet, if you're interested in baseball, it's getting underway. In Japan, NPB has got underway, the Nippon Professional Baseball. Over in Korea, that's also got underway, the KBO. Uh, over in Taiwan, slash China, is the CPBL has got underway. Baseball, baseball, baseball everywhere. But joining me today behind the microphone, a set of precedents this year, I'll say, in winning their fifth consecutive flag manager from the Essendon Baseball Club, Pete Giles. Pete, welcome. Thank you, Fritter. As we all say, it's in spite of the coaching, Fritter, they seem to keep winning. Now, I do know for a fact that you are overly humble with the way you go about your baseball, but five times consecutive is a phenomenal effort. Never been done in this state before, but five consecutive, you must be pretty proud of your performance. Frida, as a coach, I am. And um, the club has decided to go down to recruit no imports. So for the last five years, they just kept bringing up local players. They've got um, a fantastic core bunch of kids who come through. Um, Richard King, obviously the pitching coach, is, as it was his motto to make sure we had at least seven pitchers who could throw A grade. And the one thing, Fritter, the, the public don't see is that these guys train three, four, five times a week after Christmas to get ready for playoffs. Um, and there's, you know, as, as a group, I could not be prouder than what they've done. Um, when you first came to the club, I know you tried to uh, resign every presentation night, I, I believe, but you somehow change your mind and, and go back around. But I'm just getting, taking you back to when you were first appointed at the Essendon Baseball Club. What sort of changes have you made or have you seen over that five-year period? What What did you notice when you first started to now having won five consecutive? Um, to me, there hasn't seem to be too many changes, but from an inner perspective, what sort of changes have you made over that sort of period? Well, the biggest thing was um, I was sitting in Dubai. I was working in Dubai three years before this, and um, and Tony Cornish uh, approached me to try to uh, coach the club, and they actually sent me a video online of, of Essendon playing a midweek game against Sandringham. And I, I looked at the video and I, I just saw Essendon were a one-dimensional team. They were outstanding players, but they would just constantly just try to hit their way to trouble. 
And I said to Tony, if I was to come to the club, I had to change that we must have a plan B, that if we weren't hitting well, we had to come up with a different style of play. And, and I've been really influenced by the way colleges in America go about their game, is that they try to manufacture runs right from the start. So the biggest thing that I would say, uh, Frida, was that the same personnel have been there, but just the style of play that we do now. Everything's based around manufacturing runs. It's based around uh, players doing one-ninth, whether you are a, um, a, an ABL player or, a, or a, an up-and-coming junior, your role is to make sure that you do uh, team-based activity. So that's the thing that Essendon bases themselves around. You hear a lot of uh, comments about one-ninth and, or move runners 90 feet. So right through our lineup, that's the, the motto of our side is that, you know, it's not about what you do as an individual, it's about what you do to help the team. So from a, from a style point of view, it's just purely a team-based game plan. An interesting point that you raised there, and it's an area that I've sort of tried to verbalise at times to to people, is that it's purely homegrown talent from the Essendon Baseball Club that has got you five consecutive do you think some of the other clubs are, uh, uh, look, for, for want of a better word, being somewhat frivolous by continually thinking that imports are going to somehow fix their problem? The import, the import scenario, it's it's a, a two-edged sword. Is that there've been imports in this league, and I, I think back to imports over many years of baseball, and they've been phenomenal role models for the sport. You know, both from a juniors' point of view, a coaching point of view, and also from a playing in Division One or Division Two point of view. But I think clubs are now aware that imports don't fix a problem; they certainly can help resolve problems. But I think if you're looking at an import to to actually solve a club's problems, I think that's probably now gone past it. I think clubs now use imports to try to sort of stopgap a, a solution to a prop to a to a, as a problem unfolds and a solution that can be rectified. Most imports are pitches, you know, because that's the the biggest commodity. But I, I just don't see how an import, unless they produce players within the club really can really solve uh, solve problems that they have to become a coach as well as as a player you know and I see Ben Knuth in years gone past his impact of Geelong was outstanding but as long as imports are used in the right role and not just purely to play then I'm all for it because it certainly helps the league develop in their profile and their in their playing ability but they've got to impart whatever knowledge they've got we're going to uh Get off this for for a moment now, but we will come back to Essendon and, and Division One baseball in the in uh, baseball Victoria. Uh, a couple of points that I do want to talk. I hear there's going to be some sort of video screen, video board going on out at Essendon. Yes, as we speak, it was uh, installed yesterday and it's up and running. Um, the the club was given a grant from the local council, which had to be used on video scoreboards. Um, and it was installed yesterday, and it allows the club to show video clips um, as well as uh, an, an interactive scoreboard. So from what we saw yesterday, um, you'll see a lot more players' faces up on a scoreboard now than probably uh, what they were used to. And the heads will end up about the same size. They'll be in proportion for... 
the players, won't they? Oh, on a I video th- screen? Yes, I think you might see players take a little bit more time in their personal appearance and what they have in the past. So yeah. don't be surprised if you see Essendon players clean cut and with gel next year in their hair. Some fudge in there. Get some <laughs> of that stuff going. Look, Pete, uh, stick with us. We're going to um, now we're going to come back to MLB slash spring training stuff. But I've got some more I want to talk to you about. Chris Lane, of course, the tragedy that happened over in the US a couple of years ago now. There's more happening over there. And, of course, the burning question that everybody wants to know, are you going to go around again? But we're going to go to Chris Meister, part of the SEN America team, to fill us in on the spring training and MLB stuff thus far. And thanks for joining us, Chris. Uh, of course, part of the SEN America team here at the station. We're, uh, we've got you on, mate, to... You've thrown an eye across the spring training form. I know it's only early stages of the season to this point right now, but some of the more notable spring training performances that you've seen, it looks like they played around the 25 to 30 game mark, but which teams have you seen as uh, performing really well in the spring training? Well, thanks very much for having me. Um, yeah, you're right. They play about 30 games in the spring training, and it's really interesting looking through the through – the, uh, through the standings of both the um, Grapefruit League, which is played in Florida, and also the Cactus League, which is played across Arizona. Um, the mix of teams where some have been good, some have been really bad. Um, and I guess marry that up against where they finished last season uh, and where they um, where, where they hope to finish this season. In the Grapefruit League, you know, the best two teams were um, Washington and Toronto, um, yeah, Washington went into the season last year with high hopes to make the playoffs and, and would probably be favourites this year, uh, if not equal favourite, to win the NL East. Um, and Toronto went really close um, at the end. Um, yeah, but looking down through the bottom of the Grapefruit League, for example, um, yeah, the Mets, who made the World Series last year, uh, they finished at 8-17, and 17, so they'd, they'd obviously be, be looking to improve on that. Um, also, the Pirates, who are always there, there or thereabouts, they finished at eight and twenty-one. Um, in the Cactus League, Arizona, who were who were touted to be a big improver this year with the with the acquisition of Grenke, um, they finished with the best record overall in in um, or excuse me, the second best record overall in in uh, spring training at twenty-four and eight. Um, and the Angels, who are always a good side um, with Mike Trout and and Pujols, uh, they finished it. At 19 and 8, um, but consequent, or conversely to that, you know, Chicago Cubs who who uh, went all the way to the NLCS last year, they, they finished 11 and 19, and they'd, they'd be pretty disappointed with that. Um, but also the uh, the world champions, Kansas City, they finished at 14 and 21. So um, I guess showing that uh, the preseason means something, and it means nothing. <laughs> Chris, Xavier Player here. You talk about the more successful teams from last year not having the greatest springs. Something that springs to mind when I look at the spring training records is that both the last two teams to win the World World Series finished under 400 in spring training this year. Do you think it's a case of we know pretty much going into opening day what our lineup's going to be? We can give our prospects more time. We're not trying to develop guys who are going to be everyday starters. I think for those sides, definitely. Um, You're talking about Kansas City and San Francisco. Um, and San Francisco have obviously won three out of the last um, five uh, World Series, so they know what their lineup is. And um, you know, for example, Buster Posey didn't come in until well well into it, um, probably near the back end of the spring before he he uh, had a run around. So I think definitely, I think for those teams that are, that are up there and about, it's probably ones that are still trying to 
you know, to um, you know, just state their credentials to, to be there at the end again. Yep. Now, another big point from the off-season, of course, is uh, trades and signings. So we'll run through a few of those quickly. I think one of the biggest moves in the off-season was David Price signing with the Red Sox. One of the, the biggest talking points for that was the fact that they outbid every other team who was interested in him by $30 million. Do you think that this is a case of him being paid what he's worth on the market or a team paying overs because they're desperately looking for someone to fill a role? I think it's probably um, a bit of both, um, without sounding like I'm sitting on the fence. But I also think there's a third impact into, or a third aspect into that, um, in that while they have paid to strengthen themselves, they've also paid to um, to weaken the side that actually won the division last year in Toronto. So I think that's I think it's probably a mix of all three. So a case of paying to keep him away from other guys as much as paying to yeah. get him on their own roster. Yeah, that's so, a... so improve themselves and then also hurt their rival. Well, I think, you know, if you, you look at the, uh, you know, even at the start of the, how they've all started off, um, you know, the, these guys seem to be, they, both the, the Blue Jays and the, and the Red Sox are really going to be up there in the, in the reckonings come, come the end of the season. Uh, Chris, do you find that a lot of these teams actually play their prospects? How, how much game time to the, the big league guys? Mm. I mean, the big the big league yeah. guys get. How, how much game time do they get in this well, spring? At the start of the spring, virtually none. Um, but as it gets through sort of like to the second half of the spring into the, the last sort of 10 games, um, as they start you know, optioning out the, the minor league players back to their minor league teams for the start of their season, you, you see more. Um, but having said that, though, the pitchers don't really tend to pitch any more than about two to three innings, um, and and the and the you know the bat, the batters will have you know, maybe two three at bats and then and then um, be subbed out of the game. One of the more compelling stories from Trinkets Braining was the retirement of Adam LaRoche. So for those who have missed the story, he retired because uh, White Sox ownership and presidency made a decision that they weren't going to allow his son into the clubhouse throughout, every day throughout the season. Now, his son is apparently one of the more respected members of the clubhouse, which can be a bit worrying if they're looking to a 14-year-old as a leader. But do you think that this was perhaps a slight overreaction from either side? I think it's probably a bit of an overreaction for both sides. I mean, I, I can kind of understand the White Sox not wanting to start a precedent. Um, I can also see LaRoche wanting to have his son around, but I also think there's not many jobs in the world where you get to take your kid with you to work every day. So Absolutely, like, Chris. Good call, mate. Good call. As much, as much as I'd like to take my 11-year-old with me to work every day so we can talk sport and baseball and, and what have you all day... Um, you know, I don't get to do that. So, and and those guys also make a lot more money than I do. So, <laughs> um, they can afford to send their kids to the best schools. And um, you also wonder, like, um, what will what would a fourteen year old learn from being around a bunch of men all all, you know, all all the time, as opposed to you know being exposed to other kids and different. So, I can sort of see all sides of the argument, but um, I still think that perhaps it's. Um, not the right place for, for a 14-year-old. I, I would think he turns into a pretentious little brat, wouldn't he? Well, if, if you're around big leaguers like that all the time. Yeah, well, that's right. I, yeah, you would have thought so. But um, I guess it depends on the ego of the guys in, in that clubhouse. And, um, 
you know, the White Sox having not been one of the better teams in recent years, perhaps that wouldn't be the case. It's interesting you talk about egos and the how much they're going to learn in the clubhouse because they're two topics that were both discussed as the issue was unfolding. LaRoche went on record as saying he thought that Drake, his son, would learn more in a clubhouse than he'd learn at school, which I think is a particularly sad indictment from both mm-hmm. sides. And also, in the days after the retirement, we almost saw a mutiny from the White Sox players saying, well, the organisation have this wrong, we shouldn't have to go out and play for an organisation who are going to treat their players like this. Again, Mm. is that an overreaction from the White Sox players or is that, oh, we're standing up for our teammates and, well, maybe we haven't gone around it in the best way possible? Yeah, look, I think it's probably a bit of an overreaction from the players. And interestingly enough, it it hasn't seemed to have um, impacted on their start of the season. They started off 3-1 and um, with a pretty decent... um, yeah, you know, away series win in Oakland, which is never a, never an easy place to to win. Um, uh, you know, the, the bats are off to a pretty good start. So, um, yeah, I think they probably overreacted a bit, um, but you know, at the same time, they're just trying to show their strength for their for their teammate. And, and uh, it's interesting that a couple of weeks down the track, still, there's been no talk of him, you know, of any softening of the stance from either party. So, it seems like this is going to be a permanent arrangement. Chris, uh, final one from me. It's a two-part question here, mate. Who do you think actually came out best out of the spring training form? Mm. And this this is the real kicker, this one. Who's going to win the World Series? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Um, in terms of the best player uh, coming out of the, out of the spring, um, it's pretty hard to go past Nolan Arenado from Colorado with the bat, um, you know, averaging... 542, um, and he played in 22 games. Um, as I said about before, he had 50. Well, they generally bat about two to three times in each game, so he's had um, 59 at bat. So it's a pretty decent sample size. Um, hit six homers himself, and also bought in 17. So that's a pretty decent, um, pretty decent spring. Um, you know, the, the White Sox, as we talked about before, their left arm pitcher um, John Danks. He got five wins, uh, so I'd probably put him up there uh, as the pitcher of the uh, of the spring. And in terms of my World Series pick, uh, I'm going to go with the, with San Francisco because uh, sure. it's an even year. Oh, okay, you're superstitious, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I, I've been watching a little bit of them in the last couple of days, and um, particularly uh, yesterday against the Dodgers, they they're back to looking. Um, like they're on fire already, Posey and and what have you. So um, and picking up Quato also, they yeah, use a big pick up Quato, for him. yeah, and Samadra as well. So I think um, yeah, I just and well, having said that, it's going to be a fight for them just to make the playoffs because they're in a pretty tough division. I mean, obviously the Dodgers are always there or thereabouts, and the Diamondbacks are, are supposed to be one of the big improvers this year. So. Um, yeah, you know, I guess we've seen before that if they, they don't necessarily have to win the division to win the World Series. So True that, mate. True that. Look, thanks very much for your time no today, Chris. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be in touch as the season goes along, mate. Thanks very much for coming. No on. worries. Thanks for having me. Great to have Chris Meister on the line there, as I mentioned during that, part of the SEN America network here with uh, US Stories. You can get him at sport underscore Meister, M. I-E-S-T-E-R, sport underscore Meister. Um, interesting points he brought up there regards to spring training. Of course, it doesn't give you a true indication 
of form leading into the season. And I think we're are we even five or six games into the season yet. It's really only just getting underway. Pete, I'll come to you now just with this. Do you have a US team that you follow in the big leagues? To be honest, Frida, if I look through any of the stats, I'll look through to see where the Cleveland Indians are. Seem to be Indians. the heartbreak kids. Yeah, they don't seem to win a lot, but um, I certainly many years ago went on a tour through their stadium and was treated very, very well. So I have a bit of a soft spot for the Indians. Myself, personally, I tend to lean to the Australians wherever they may be playing. Of course, this year I'll be having a look at Oakland because of Liam Hendricks, our, our sole representative at the major league level, but also throwing a soft eye across Kansas City because we've got Pete Moylan, who will endeavour to get on the show over the next couple of weeks. He's uh, is going to be at AAA, who was, interestingly, the process in the US is can be somewhat confusing, and I don't, uh, I'm not a big reader, so I don't sit down and read how this entire process works. But he was released by the Kansas City Royals and then two days later re signed to a minor league contract. I think it's Omaha is their AAA affiliation for Kansas City. Also, there will be Alan de San Miguel from the Perth Heat. So, an interesting battery there between uh, Pete Moylan throwing to a catcher that he should know very well in, in Alan de San Miguel. It's it's funny, a good friend of Pete Moylan is Russell Spear, who was saying that... Um, part of the show here, part of the uh, SEN baseball team, yes. Fantastic. And he was saying that he was talking to Pete after he just was joined Kansas City and how much he loved his time so far with Kansas City, such a professional organisation. So he had, uh, obviously as a player, very, very big raps on uh, his outings with Kansas City. Yeah, the, it's, it was great for Pete to get another job. He's another guy who uh, threw the ball really well. I was up at the World Baseball Classic qualifiers up in Sydney. Pete represented Australia there, throwing to Alan de San Miguel. And he, and he really is in good shape. He was in good spirits also and really uh, throws the ball well. Of course, with that sidearm slash submarine kind of motion that he has, really gets a lot of movement on, on a... It's hard to even call it a slider. It's not quite a slider, but he really gets good movement on his pitches, whether it be in and out on uh, both left and right. He's, uh, Pete, hopefully, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll see him back in the big leagues this year because he, you know, he does throw the ball well and, and really has a, a good, good way. He knows how to get hitters out. He certainly does, and I've also heard very good raps on Pete when he helped out as their pitching coach for the under-16 Australian side a few years ago in Mexico. A lot of the players who played on that team and the coaches had very big raps on him, so he's putting back back into Australian baseball, not just as a player, but also as a coach, which was fantastic. Another reason, um, I'll just go through the other qualifiers before I come back to you, Pete, there for a sec. Of course, Australia won that qualifying series in Sydney, uh, defeating the Philippines. South Africa and New Zealand in that four-team tournament, taking one of the places for the World Baseball Classic in March of 2017. And the other qualifiers that were played around the world, uh, Colombia won their uh, part of the tournament. Dilson Hernan, oh, forget it, doesn't matter. One of the guys from the Mets actually uh, dr uh, hit a home run in the eighth innings to win it for Columbia. So they've taken a second spot in the um, World Baseball Classic. And the other spot, of course, went to Mexico, who hosted one of the qualifiers down there. Uh, the fourth and final spot will be determined later in the year. I think it's September in Brooklyn, 
over in the US where the, the fourth and final place for the World Baseball Classic, a final spot, will be uh, competed for later on the year in September. Um, so, And just another reason that we've got you in here, Pete, is also you're part of schoolboys baseball here in Australia, coaching the Victorian team. Where's that tournament going to be? Later on, I think it's around May, you're heading off with that? Yeah, correct. It's on May, the first week in May. And so as opposed to the Nationals, which happens every year in January, they do run a 17 years and under schoolboys tournament, which uh, one side from each state is is represented. And that is held in Perth this year. It rotates every year. Um, so this year in Perth, uh, from May 1st to May the 9th. So... The side's been picked. Um, we're into our last couple of training sessions. So hopefully this year we go over. We've been runners-up the last two years. So with a bit of luck, we can go one more um, against um, our perennial f- um, foes in New South Wales. Yep. I think, uh, just to pat myself, I think I was part of the last winning team for Victoria, coaching staff and the schoolboys. Then they found out I wasn't a teacher and I got shafted. <laughs> That's the way it all goes. But yes, and then part of the Australian schoolboy tournament, which will be later on in the year. So what they do is that from this tournament in, in Perth in May, where each state is represented, they then, um, every two years, they pick an Australian touring side from the schoolboys tournament. Um, and that travels uh, across the West Coast of America. And the big difference between nationals and the schoolboy tournament is that the schoolboys really go down a college pathway. Yep. In that um, the side they pick to travel to America uh, in the past has paid over 30-odd uh, games against colleges, yep. ranging from Division One through to Junior College. And I was only asking Neil Barracliffe, who is the, the tour manager of this tour side uh, last night, of how many players in the last three years have gone on to college or pro level. Yeah. And he said of the 55 players that have travelled in the last three tours, 45 have either signed pro contracts or have gone on to college baseball. Wow. It's, uh, it's a big number. Of course, uh, we have had three Aussie kids who have been part of the uh, schoolboys tournament have won pitcher of the tournament awards. Cameron Cancross went on and pitched in the big leagues. Josh Spence was another one, of course. Uh, Liam Hendricks at the moment with the Oakland A's. They all won pitcher of the tournament back in the day in their schoolboy days. Correct. It's funny. We we took one of the teams uh, over to Seattle a few years ago to to watch the, the Mariners play, and Ryan Roland Smith was in the, the Mariners. Yep. And the, his greatest claim to fame was that he actually got cut from the New South Wales schoolboys team. Right. So he got to meet the coach who cut him while he was over there in a Mariners uniform. So right. may I just say it was a very frosty reception that uh, Ryan gave the coach of New South Wales at that time. I'm sure part of the commentary team for the Seattle Mariners this year is. Ryan Roland-Smith, you can hear his dulcet tones on air, so keep an ear out for Seattle Mariners baseball. You'll get Ryan Roland-Smith. Of course, New South Wales have won this tournament 13 times since 1989 under its current format, the way it's run. Um, Victoria, do you know how many Victorian, how many we've won in that time? 
I think off off the cuff, I think there's been seven or eight times Victoria's won it. They yep. had the glory years going back, obviously when you were at the helm fitter. So <laughs> there's still it's still the icon that we. I wasn't at the, I was there to throw BP and take the kids out till four in the morning drinking. That was mine. That was all I was there for. There is modesty, and then there's fritter modesty. But uh, the, the reason why, I mean, New South Wales is a is a power state, and one of the reasons why they are so good in schoolboys is that they combine both city and country into one team. So they get the best of the whole state playing for them. But in saying that, uh, two years ago, we lost in the 15th inning in a four and a half hour game in the final against New South Wales. Yep. And then last year, we lost also to New South Wales in a close game as well. So the Victorians are very competitive. Um, so hopefully with the side we've picked this year, um, they seem to be very confident this year. Um, firstly, I'll just ask, where is the tournament to be played? It's in Perth this year. Okay. And, and where are you at with the process right now? So they have a, a unique set of rules with School Sport Victorians that we must pick the side after three training sessions. Right. So which is difficult because 70 players turn up for selection and we can only take 17. Yep. Um, so we have to pick the side within three weeks. Last year, they had a side from India came out to play right. uh, in the, what's called the Pacific School Games, which happens every two years. So same scenario, um, we picked 17 players. The side was selected two weeks ago. We had a practice game last week against one of the power sides in winter baseball in Green Hills, Montmorency, which yep. the side did very well. Um, we have two more sessions, then we are on the plane to hopefully uh, go one better. Right, and later on in the year, the Australian schoolboys, where will that be played also? So they, they are looking at putting together the side that will travel in late August uh, through September. And they, they land in Oregon and they work their way down to San Diego and across to Arizona. Yep. Um, with the last last time they played 33 games, so um, all against colleges, so which is a great experience. So kids get exposed to what Division One colleges do right through to junior colleges. Unbelievable. It's fantastic. And, of course, uh, hopefully, I don't know if you're teasing me, but which we'll have you in next week also. We'll go in a little bit more depth about this schoolboy, have a look at the team that you, you've put Put together, you said it was selected last week. Uh, two weeks ago, the two final weeks. list was out. Yes, yeah. terrific. Um, so yeah, next week we'll go in a little bit more depth about the schoolboy tournament as it stands right now. Um, in May, we'll be in Perth, and then later on in the year, August, we'll be over in the US. So we'll, we'll keep an eye out for the schoolboys. But another youngster, speaking of schoolboys, guy just out of school is uh, young Lewis Thorpe, a young prospect that we have here in Australia from the Doncaster Baseball Club, left-hander, throws the ball extremely well. Unfortunately, suffered, uh, had Tommy John surgery approximately about 12 months ago, near enough to the month or the week uh, that we sit right now. And earlier in the week, we were able to get a chat with Lewis Thorpe about his rehab, and here's what he had to say. And Lewis Thorpe, welcome to SEN Baseball, mate. Um, Lou, of course, you've just had uh, come off arm surgery and started throwing again now. But I want to backtrack a little bit right from the start. When did you actually feel that your arm wasn't right? Was there a particular game that you threw in and it, and it didn't feel right? Or was it a sort of an ongoing pain that, that you had to get checked out? Uh, yeah, it started in uh, 2014 when I was just just before the playoffs when we had an off day and I threw a bullpen and I felt a little pull, just didn't feel right. So I said something and 
that ended up being a sprain, so I rehabbed that for two or three months and then came back to spring training and uh, feeling good, feeling great, and then I just went just like that. Lewis, save your player here. Did it feel different to any other sort of strain you had? Because obviously Tommy Johns is one of the, the bigger issues talked about with pitchers. Did it, was there a unique feeling to it, or did it just feel like a normal sort of strain to start with? So the normal sprain, you just feel a point and just it just didn't feel right. It felt like a pinch. So it felt like someone was pinching it, and then the, the tear felt like a nice stabbing. It felt like uh, I got stabbed in the arm or something like that. It just it was a straight pain, and I was in shock. How long ago was the actual surgery now? Uh, so April 10. So just just over 11 months. From from having the surgery, what sort of rehab have you had to do before you got to the throwing stage, which uh, you have been just recently, but from the physios and that sort of stuff, what what actual exercises did they have you doing? Just a lot of uh, shoulder exercises. So mainly at the start, they want you doing shoulder stuff so you can keep all that intact. So when you when you get back into the swing of things, you don't have any shoulder problems. You just want to keep everything strong. And then about two or three months into that, you get to start doing like light weights with the elbow and elbow stuff. And and yeah, from there, just you keep progressing on and just keep reaching little goals every day. Are you feeling stronger now than you were prior to the injury? I am, yes. I'm feeling healthy. I've lost lost 25 pounds and feeling good lost of like four percent body fat and just feeling healthy and feeling strong that's uh sort of triathlon shape lou what yeah. are you what are yeah. you going from baseball into triathlete mate three four percent body fat that's not much no, no, no i lost i lost four percent i lost four percent so i'm like oh sorry mate yeah. I was, uh, yeah, i'm 11 percent body fat i was 15 percent after the surgery and just making sure you work hard and just, like I said, just trying to reach little goals every every day. And with once you've now started throwing again, how long ago did you actually like pick up a baseball and throw it for the first time? It wasn't that long ago, was it now? It was probably four or five months ago, six months ago, around there, yeah. And, yeah. The, and the process with that, do you... Do you uh, just sort of throw fastballs over, I'm, I'm making this up, over 60 feet and you stick at that for a couple of weeks? What's the actual process been through coming back and throwing? So I started at 30 feet, just five minutes. That was my first first one, five minutes of rainbow throws, you know, just to see how it feels. And then about that's probably for two weeks and then work my way back to 45 feet. Then 60 feet, 90 feet, then 120, and then just normal long toss. Is is most of that, Lewis? Is it um, under the eye of the pitching coach from the Twins organisation? Do they th- uh, sort of keep an eye on you at every throwing session? So we have a we have our rehab pitching coach that stays down here, JP Martinez, and he was down here when. He's uh, now the low A pitching coach, but he helped me out through the through the surgery, and he was he was really good to me, and he was just making sure everything looked smooth and right, and 
he did a good job. So, looking forward to the 2016 season, what's your sort of goal? I know you've talked a lot about small goals and taking it day by day. What are some of your smaller goals for this season? Uh, you know, just to stay healthy, just stay on the field, you know. Just, I want to probably, it, I don't really, it doesn't really matter where I uh, end up, you know, but just as long as I'm back on that field, just playing, that's what I've missed. I did notice, Lewis, a uh, couple of photos on social media. You were able to catch up with the touring Australian team that's over there at the yep. moment. Graham Lloyd and yep. Jeff Williams and these guys were part. Is it good to see, um, I'll say, hear some Australian accents? You don't want to see the ugly faces, but is it good to uh, hear <laughs> some Aussie accents again? That's awesome. That's awesome to see those boys and see the... Uh Young boys playing against the twins, you know the twins are my team. But I'm always going to be, I'm always going to represent my country. So I sat in the dugout and supported them and taught them a couple of things. They don't like Graham Lloyd and all that and other stuff. But just to teach them the ways of professional baseball and just to see them go out and compete against those boys, it's just a great thing to watch. What's it like now for a young established pro like yourself to be able to have the opportunity to talk to the likes of Graham Lloyd? about where you're at, where you're going, all that sort of stuff. It's awesome. That's awesome. They've always, they've all been through what I've gone through and just to hear their knowledge about how they how they took it and what they did to get where they, where they went and the goals they achieved, it's it's just a, just a huge, like, huge breakthrough for me to hear what they say and, you know, it's awesome. It's it's awesome what they say to me, and they look after me, and they've been by my side ever since I was 14, 15. I've known them for a long time, and they know their stuff. I'm going to take that little bit of reflection you just made me think of there. You were a, a close teammate of my young nephew, Benjamin, there for a while, and you were a, yeah. a young left-hander coming through the process. You would have had dreams yeah. and aspirations of playing professional baseball. Is it living up to yeah. those expectations you had back then? Is it you know are you able to um, think about what pro ball would be like and is and is that coming true for you? Yeah, it's, I'm just really appreciative. You know, like never when I was 12, 13, I never knew like that you could come over here and play professional baseball. You know, like just just to be over here and play on that green grass and being a bunch of bunch of athletes and playing with professionals. You know, it's just awesome. It's awesome. It's an awesome feeling. With um, where where will you be starting the season? Will you be um, active at the start of the season? And if so, what team will you be with? I uh, won't be active until probably June first. So I'll probably start off in the extended spring. Throw my it's a long process, so I got to go like one inning, one inning, one inning, and three innings, three innings, three innings, and then as a starter, it's going to take longer because. You got to work your way up to five or six innings. Because I'm going to be on a probably a pitch count all all year this year because they're going to have an eye on me. So they'll uh, they'll they'll uh, be keeping a close eye on me. So we'll see what happens. As frustrating as it must be to be on a pitch count, as you say, for the entire year this year, does it comfort you knowing that the Twins have that faith in you? They're willing to take that time to help you through the process and see you back to full strength. It's great. That's great. We're a family, you know, and uh, they look after the boys here, and it's just a really good organisation to be a part of. They're a, they're a great team, and 
everyone's really nice here and if you get the chance, anyone gets a chance to come over here, go watch a Minnesota Twins game because they're going to be, we're going to be really good. You know, maybe this year, you know, this year the ball club's looking good. Our farm system's amazing. Well, if the, if the, I'm sure the baseball will work out for you, but if it doesn't, you can go into marketing, mate, because the uh, Minnesota Twins would, would love you wrapping their club up like that. Hey, uh, Lewis, we're going to have to yeah. wrap it up, mate. We're, we're just about out of studio time here, but really appreciate you giving us a couple of minutes uh, this morning. Hello. And, uh, Thank you for having me, guys. Good luck for the rest of the season. Get that arm right, mate. Get back out there, and uh, we want to see you pitching again. So all the best for the season, and thanks for coming on. I appreciate it, mate. Thanks for having me. Nice little chat there, Lewis Thorpe, of course, coming off uh, the arm surgery. Interesting to see that he's the process of how it all works, back to 30 feet and then 60 feet and then stretching it out from there. But uh, hopefully we'll see the young kid uh, back with the Minnesota Twins sooner rather than later. Of course, huge prospect out of Australia here. Kid can throw mid-90s and has good command over three or four different pitches. But uh, we're getting towards the end now. So we're just going to head back to MLB. Uh, Some of the stories that have happened this week, of course, the season just got underway. One that jumps to my mind straight away is, of course, the Dodgers' first three games throwing shutouts. Fantastic performance. And and an interesting one on debut for the Dodgers. Kenta Maeda was the uh, number two for the Japanese national team over there in the MPB. Hit a solo home run in his first game for the Dodgers through a shutout and a solo jack. The guy's uh, some sort of athlete. And that, that raised another topic that we will get to as the weeks go along is the DH coming into both particular leagues. Personally, and this is just my personal, if you want to ring in and complain, ring somebody else, but I'd like to get rid of the DH altogether. But that's just me. But other things happening in MLB... Over the uh, uh, this week coming along, uh, Trevor Story hit four home runs in his first career hits. But he is he the guy, Clubby? I'll bring you in on this because you've got some ideas on this one. Is he today? Is he gone yickety yak today? Yeah, he's gone yard twice more today. So that's six home runs in his first four major league games. Phenomenal performance. Nice way to start your career. Uh, the Cubs. The Cubs have had a nice start to the season also. They've they've done pretty well. Yep, best start in 20 years. They started 2-0 and and picked up a third game on Friday in a 14-6 win over the Diamondbacks. And uh, I'll, get, I'll get to this next point in a moment. Andrew, Andrew Benitez is an interesting one over in the US at Clubby. This is sensitive to your area, but we'll come to it. But Josh Hendricks, the Australian over there with the A's, he's had two appearances in the... Uh, Liam Hendricks, uh, excuse me, has, has had a couple of appearances in the first three games. First outing, 2.2 innings of shutout ball, did a nice job, but then uh, poo-pooed the bed in his second outing, gave up some runs there. In his first two outings, he's thrown 3.2 innings for three strikeouts. Current ERA of nine, but a long way to go, as I say, only the first three games of, of the season. But, Clubby, bring you on, on the, in on this one. Andrew Beniti becomes the first ever MLB broadcaster. Now, just explain what what that's about. So, Andrew Beniti in January was announced as the new White Sox home broadcaster for their TV games. He'll be replacing uh, Hank uh, Hawk Halsman for all games besides opening day and the home series against the Chicago Cubs. The reason this is such a big story is because he is the first ever Major League broadcaster with cerebral palsy. 
interesting. Is he? Have you heard some of his games? Has he come through the minor league system? Uh, where, where has Andrew Benedi come from? He spent five years with Syracuse. He's also done some football, some basketball, some base, uh, some lacrosse, and some hockey with uh, Fox Sports, uh, Time Warner, and a few other organisations. So he's he's worked hard. He went to Syracuse, which is one of the best journalism schools in America. Also has a law degree from Wake Forest, I believe, and. Yeah, very, very big step forward and a great, I guess, story for everyone, but particularly we hear so much about chasing goals and we hear about players chasing the dream and to become the first major league broadcaster with cerebral palsy, a disability, which can not only affect uh, movement and muscle tone and things like that, but also occasionally speech. It's It's a really strong story because it shows that really nothing is unachievable. Absolutely, I agree wholeheartedly. Of course, last year the first female getting involved, Jessica Mendoza. Yeah, yeah, she's um she's now doing Sunday night games for ESPN in a full time role, and again another a broadcaster who is just fits in like a natural in the broadcast booth. You wouldn't if you're not listening closely enough, you wouldn't be able to tell that she's a woman. She's just she feels really? like an, she's just she that, sounds she's that sounds, husky a voice. No, right? no, she just sounds like she. <laughs> well, a lot of people are talking about oh, she's a woman. She's never played the game, and I, I think that's a, a terrible approach to have. She was an Olympic Olympic and college level softball player, and yeah. her depth of knowledge in the game is such that she sounds like she's been doing this for a decade. There was an attempt to actually get her out here over the summer here to be part of the ESPN broadcast team. Uh, unfortunately wasn't successful, but there was an attempt to try and get her out here. Pete, I'm going to come to you now with this one, mate. There's There's been some grumblings, not here, but other places. Bryce Harper's attitude towards baseball. Now, some people, and it actually stems back, we, we will sort of go into more depth over the next few weeks, but I just want to get a sense of where you lay with this one so I can set my argument up next time round and get prepared. But Bryce Harper's attitude, there's the bat flips come into play and, and having your hair a certain way and an and, and aggressive sort of baseball. Where do you sit kind of with Bryce Harper's way about baseball? Bryce Harper's a player that if you look in any of the kids in the crowd in Washington, a lot will have Bryce Harper memorabilia on. To me, if I'm an owner, I'm there to make money and obviously win pennants. And if Bryce Harper can do both for me, then I'm all for it. It's a fine line between disrespect and showmanship. From what I've seen of Bryce Harper, he's all about winning. He's all about trying to do the right thing by Washington. If he plays the game in a certain style of way, which is enjoyable, that people come to the stadiums to watch, then for me, as a baseball fanatic, I I would say I'm all for it. I think that he's good for the game of baseball. Absolutely. And and you've got to sort of split who's making this decision. People in the crowd, I feel, love it. People in the front offices... I feel love it because it comes down to ticket sales. Sometimes there can be an area of disrespect shown by a player that the opposition don't particularly like about it. And, and of course, there, there can be um, ramifications down the line in other games and that sort of stuff. But it's a really interesting topic and, as I say, something that we will get to over the next few weeks. Another one that... Uh, was Dan McGrath, Australia's own Dan McGrath from Doncaster Baseball Club, a former teammate of Lewis Thorpe, who we uh, we just spoke to moments ago. But he got the ball for Salem in his first outing this year through six innings, gave up four hits, three runs, and a strikeout. Ended up getting his first win of the year. Terrific effort there by um, Dan McGrath. And uh, San Diego Padres, a team that I have a 
soft spot for. Spent a little bit of time there, but uh, they've started the season terribly. So, you know, this, as I say, it's only the first week of the season and only the season just getting underway. So we've got a long way to go. Um, but that's about all we have for this particular episode of SEN Baseball. Make sure you tune in next week. We've got Travis Blackley will be on the show uh, next week. Uh, be interested to see where he's at with his career. Of course, he's played in the big leagues with nine different major league teams and hoping to continue his career. But as for now, that's all we have on this particular episode of SEN Baseball. Pete, thanks very much for coming in and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Frida. Thanks for having me. And before I go, I'll leave you a little thing to ponder on, Frida. What's the connection between Travis Blackley and schoolboy baseball? He was once old enough to go to school. Very, very close. We'll find out if that's where I do believe that he got his first actually appearance as a pitcher was in a schoolboy baseball game. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, terrific. Well, as I said, Travis Blackley will be on the show next week, so we'll find out more about that. So make sure you tune in next week to SEN Baseball. Thanks for listening to the SEN MLB podcast. For more SEN America podcasts, head to sen.com.au. To keep up to date with the latest American sports news and interviews from around SEN, follow SEN America on Twitter at SEN America and on Facebook at facebook.com slash SEN America.